Thank you once again for hanging out with us. This is the one and only IT in the D show. I am your host, Bob Waltonspiel, hanging out with co-host, producer extraordinaire, Randy Walker. Guests this week, Steve Marnie, Jake Wagner. They're from DMI. We're going to be talking all about auto industry disruption, what's going on in the EV industry, and uh, what are we doing about the talent gap. If you ever wondered whatever happened to CompuWare, well, guess what? This is CompuWare, plus a whole bunch of other companies. So this should be a really fun talk. You can find us online, itinthed.com. And do us a favor, give us a like on the socials and subscribe to us everywhere. Fine podcasts are sold. Check us out on meetup.com slash itinthed. This is going to be our last event at Ye Old Saloon this Thursday, uh, May the night. Is it 19th, Randy? It is. Uh, we're going to be there at 5 o'clock. Randy's going to be there. I have a work... Thing, so I will not be there, but it doesn't matter if I'm there or not. Uh, no business cards or it. if you want to bring them fine, but uh, just good old networking with a bunch of IT folks and uh, $2 bacon on a stick. And then we'll be uh, heading back downtown for uh, Nancy whiskeys and uh, for probably two or three uh, down in, down in Corktown. So we should have a good time. Steve, Jake, thanks for joining us. How you guys doing? Real good. Thank you. Thanks for having us here. Uh, really pleased to be uh, chatting with you today and looking forward to our our talk together yeah yeah so i mean that's that's the main thing it's i think a lot of people that grew up in it in this town compuware was the mainstay and it was all about the compuware building and all of a sudden poof compuware is gone um talk to me about how it materialized into dmi because this is all very new to me i didn't i didn't even know you guys existed but now i'm doing some research and you got you know it looks like you haven't missed a beat but how did that all transition happen yeah, so, um, you know, through some um, series of acquisitions and so on by DMI, right, we, we became part of the DMI team. Uh, we're now uh, really the automotive industry um, business unit within DMI, uh, focused, of course, um, on our automotive clients and technologies in the whole mobility space. But DMI also has uh, a number of practices also and business units uh, in the government space as well. We do a lot with our federal government and our state and local governments as well, pretty much every branch of the government. So what's really kind of cool, one of the, one of the neat things about, you know, uh, how this all kind of comes together now is the needs the government have from commercial, right, that we can offer in through that uh, channel, as well as some of the things that are going really well in the government space, particularly around security, things like that. We can leverage those experiences as well and bring them back into the commercial segments as well. So so that's that's one of the uh, areas where we try to differentiate a bit, right, as we um, uh, work to bring value to um, customers in, in all areas of business. Good, good. So just doing you know a little bit of research what you guys are doing, you know, and you're talking about auto, auto industry disruption, right? And that's a buzzword and you know, so with a few other things, but but you're actually you actually are. And if you look at what f- when did Tesla's come out, Randy? Like five years ago? Um, oh, much longer than that. Was it five? Was it was maybe eight years ago? I don't remember when did uh Neil got his first one. I don't remember. It was been a while. But now it's like you look like every single car manufacturer has at least something coming out. Uh, you're seeing trucks now. You're seeing Mustangs. It's just completely broken all the barriers. What was that? Was there a moment that just everyone got on board at the same? It seems like everyone got on board at the same time. And I know they rely on their suppliers a lot, but like, what was that driving factor that that kind of caused that uh, influx to the market? Yeah, I think there are a number of of motivators, right? Um, uh, even with certain awarenesses around uh, emissions controls, right, and, con- and concerns, particularly in Europe, 
right, and parts of the Far East and so on, and even in California uh, here in the States, uh, the concern about global warming, things like that, have caused government regulations to crack down a bit and uh, even drive further towards uh, zero emissions type policies. And so, of course, the, um, uh, you know, one viewpoint is that, um, you know, electric vehicles can help to uh, mitigate some of those issues, uh, particularly in congested, crowded, um, you know, spaces and, and cities uh, that, uh, that just have a lot of uh, carbon emissions. So, so that together with some technological breakthroughs, right, uh, improvements in some of the battery uh, type uh, technologies um, and even some fuel cell sorts of technology uh, enablers, um, even though they're still quite pricey, uh, are creating new uh, opportunities really to address this space in a, in, in a bigger way and get some economy of scale uh, behind the whole movement uh, toward driving toward, um, you know, cleaner, zero emission type type vehicles. So that's there's a lot of mis- not misconceptions, but everybody wants to talk about it. I know we uh, our friend Tom Lawrence has one and everybody wants to ask him questions about it. And uh, some of them saying they're the, the, the batteries can last for a million miles. Is that accurate? What have you been seeing on your side? Yeah, I don't know. It might be a little bit soon to tell, right? Because um, we've we've got a ways to go with that. But um, there are those possibilities, of course. And then uh, also with the remanufacturing of batteries as well. So maybe they're 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 considering maybe the full life cycle, right, of of some of the components that go into and materials that go into the batteries uh, that, that that give it a chance really of of living much longer than what we've seen in um, battery lifespans in the past. Yeah, and I'm just going to jump right in. Um, I'm a big, you know, we, we were talking offline. I'm a big friend of math. I like math. Math is good. <laughs> and uh, ever since EVs have come out, I've always done the math. And I, and I, you know, I'm one of the few people that realizes that electricity isn't magic, right? That we use fossil fuels to to get electricity. At the same token, you see a lot of you know information misinformation regarding what it takes to mine between the cobalt and this and that to create one battery. And, you know, what, I guess from your standpoint, I know you probably don't have the numbers in front of you, but like the, 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 you know, to get to net zero, right. You need to, to do some little, a little bit here, a little bit there, but in terms of the, the break even, what is a, from your standpoint, what are you hearing or seeing in terms of, you know, the mining from, you know, natural materials versus what it would take just to use gas? Yeah, no, I, I I don't have all those numbers in front of me, but um, but but certainly there are the concerns of the mining, right? The um, um, the the whole process of 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 getting the materials, uh, transport, right? Bringing together the the assembly or manufacturing, um, the the transport again to the assembly plants, the whole cost or footprint to get the materials into product, of course, are quite extraordinary. Uh, I think some of the processes as we look to see some new companies that are even coming out, and I just mentioned this, this remanufacturing as an example, right? So if we can get to a point where we've got at least some critical mass of getting materials into product, and then we know that we have a way to remanufacture some of these, so we've got some uh, renewing, right, and, and renewed capability of those, um, uh, hopefully, at some point over time, right, if this can be done in a cost-effective way, uh, we would start to reduce the uh, impact to the earth uh, and, and maybe have materials in more, in closer proximities to where they're needed over time, right? Uh, I know like battery battery uh, manufacturing plants, we're starting to see more of those springing up here in the States even uh, to, to try to reduce the amount of, you know, transportation costs to get 
materials and, um, you know, um, parts all put together, uh, manufactured batteries too, where they need to be uh, pulled, to, pulled into the cars, distributed and so on. So I think those, some of those concerns are trying to, that people are starting to address that already. No, that that's fair. And then that's another one of my favorite conspiracy theories going on is that the gas prices are ridiculously high because they're trying to push everyone to EV. Um, obviously nobody knows. Cause that, again, you want to talk about magic. Yeah. That's how they set gas prices, but it's uh that's when I'm, I'm going, that makes sense, you know, but um, at the end of the day, they're, they're, you know, they're not the cheapest cars in, on the block either. So, and you know, the whole, the whole car the, between used cars, I'm shopping for, a soon to be 16 year old and looking at EVs as options. It's uh, the car market right now is, is a uh, pretty ridiculously crazy from my entire lifetime. This is the craziest it's ever been. So do you see the electrification trend, just kind of a continuation of the internal combustion engine trend where everybody in the next five to 10 years will replace their ice car with an EV, or do you think EV will start to shift more towards uh, not everybody needing their own car and you'll see things like electrified buses and things like that kind of taking over? Yeah, I think we can see all things, right? So in Europe, there seems to be a faster uptick, right, of 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 um, uh, people purchasing electric vehicles than we've seen in some parts here in the States. Uh, part of that's due to infrastructure, right, and the availability of, of electricity on the grid, uh, recharging stations, things like that. So where there's uh, better government incentives to build out that infrastructure uh, and make, you know, those conveniences um, sort of be satisfied, uh, we, we see a little bit more gravitation toward people uh, that want to move in that direction to be able to actually um, get on board with the EVs. Uh, California, again, has seen um, you know much much better uptick as well because there has been some investment, quite a bit of investment, uh, to deal with some of the infrastructure sorts of concerns. Um, but that will probably continue uh, to grow, I would hope. Uh, but then, uh, you know, again, the 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 um, uh, the charging stations, availability of those, how close are they, right? As battery technology improves, maybe we get longer, um, uh, you know, mileage uh, on a charge. Uh, and as that, that continues to improve, um, maybe other technologies to help continue to reduce the amount of time it takes to recharge a vehicle or even swap out batteries, however that ends up happening, right? Addressing the convenience issues as well as the cost issues, right, uh, will will definitely impact um you know people's decisions to uh to purchase electronic ve electric vehicles going forward i would imagine so one of the common themes of this show and we've been talking on autonomous vehicles and not necessarily as much evs but autonomous vehicles for for the longest time since the show has basically started and you know it's interesting i see a comment here you know doing a software first approach and software defined vehicles i was used you know i grew up in a data center so software defined networking makes sense to me mm -hmm. um Software-defined vehicles. Now, I guess, while it makes sense to me, I guess, walk me through that process. Is this, you know, code updated over the air on the fly? Is this, you know, embedded where you need to go to the dealer? What What is the entire car run on software now? Is, is that really the basis of it? Yeah, that's kind of the shift, right, is uh, toward more of a software-first approach. Now, um, again, so where are we with that? You, you mentioned software-defined networks, software-defined infrastructure, right? Like the Googles yep. and the Amazons and so on have, have, sure. have created that. That basically makes our infrastructure programmable, right? So we can automate more things. We can automate the provisioning of servers, networks, things like that into an environment uh, through programs, right? And programming interfaces. Similar sort of thing is happening with the vehicle where we can abstract 
software, right? Abstract the software away from the hardware. Uh, so today we've got ECUs, those are electronic control units, right? That are tightly coupled to the hardware, whether it's the braking system, the steering system, the engine, right? The uh, windows, the power of the windows up and down. You have ECUs that uh, implement specific functions to make windows go up or down, right? Or to, to, to do various controls. Um, um, and, and that's different, actually, the way all that comes together uh, from one model to another model of a vehicle line, even within the same company, right? So what's happening is um, um, we're, we're getting to a point where we can abstract the software functions into almost like SDKs, right? Software development kits, where we can now program at a higher level and then um, um, make those, um, those, those, those software standards even start to become interoperable across multiple different hardware implementations, right? So that gives us leverage of the same source of automation functionalities from one vehicle line to another vehicle line, even possibly across vendors for some things that aren't really differentiating, right? Different OEMs. So we can start to get to some standards and then allow the innovation now to happen above that, okay? Hmm. So that's where we see a lot of the um, advanced driver assist systems, right, where uh, like the self-parking or other sorts of things that can help in uh, steering or staying on the road, things like that. We now have the ability to have software actually participate, right, with the driver on some safety issues, right? Um, and so now the, the smart software that's embedded on the, on, on, on the vehicle, right, um, can be updated uh, more easily. Um, given that it's not so tightly coupled to the hardware and have to go through the same type of, you know, uh, um, testing cycles that take much longer. So we have the introduction of what we call over the air updates, much like you have with your, uh, with your cell phones and so on, as we start to look at the vehicle more as a platform, right? Much like, um, you know, um, um, smartphones and things like that, that you can then deploy new hardware or hardware fixes, right, to continue to improve the user experience in that vehicle over time, well beyond the initial sale of the car itself, right? So, so this is a big shift that the OEMs are going through now, uh, where they call it the software-defined vehicle, which gives us more of this platform way of an approach uh, to um, uh, to driving out more of this software-defined approach. It's, it reminds me of video gaming. You know, back in the day, you'd plug in your cartridge. That was it. Today, yeah. the, the game evolves as you, you know, as long as you own it. It's kind of wild to me. Um, God, I hate to get down the road of bad code. Um, you know, anything that's coded has errors. What's the process for, you know, QA, debugging, bad pushes, right? Um, yep. Because obviously when you're driving in a motor vehicle, you know, your room for error is, is zero. Um, right. What's that process look like? Yeah, so this is where we, again, right, looking at things from a software first approach uh, perspective, uh, we really want to use modern software engineering approaches to developing this software now, right? Because there's hundreds of millions of lines of code now, right, sure. that, are in, that are in vehicles. And it just is going to increase, increase, increase. So how do – so again um, – if we begin with the end in mind and say we need to deliver a piece of functionality, maybe in smaller units, right, than what we've done in the past, of software that we want to push into the vehicle, 
then how do we do that? And that's going to be by taking in more of a services oriented approach, right, to breaking down into smaller uh, chunks of code and then running them through a continuous integration, continuous test type pipeline uh, where you're doing, um, you know, the full software in the loop type testing as well as hardware in the loop testing with those pieces of software well before you actually deploy it. And so we need increasing amounts. Pretty much you want everything automated so you can run through these cycles as often as possible and push your releases out much more frequently than what was possible in the past. So what we use in a lot of IT practices today is starting to move increasingly into the automotive space for the embedded software development approaches and things like that to make sure that all the testing for security, right, as well as testing for um, reliability, uh, correctness of code, all those sorts of things are being uh, done in a much more automated way today. So security, you bring up a good point. I wanted to touch on that. Um, we used to, you know, we told stories three, four, five years ago. It all blends together now after COVID, right? You don't know what year it was. Um, you know, what was it, Randy, when they were hacking into the, the and they made the Jeep stop, was it? Um, yeah. One of the it cars. Was, um, faulty infotainment link to the CAN bus. There was no security between the infotainment and the CAN bus. And so malformed media packets could take over the car. That's right. Right. So, I mean, are you going to see a future where we got to do 2FA to like get into our car? We have to, we'll get a push text with a six digit code on our text and our SMS. You know, is that, is that what we're going to come to? Or is this thing pretty hardened in terms of being locked down from a security standpoint? Now there's, uh, you know, the, the concepts of zero trust architectures really apply here as well. Right. So how do they you know want, it's you? I guess it's the, that's it's right. The, so you got to authenticate, you got to authorize, sure. you got to know what you're doing. And you also want to separate concerns uh, across different uh, bits of software that are running on the vehicle as well. So there, there'll be things that are concerned with safety, right? Like um, things that the uh, ADAS, right. Or the autonomous vehicle, the things that are mm -hmm. affecting the control of the vehicle itself you might not want to have joined up exactly the same, right? Networked with some of the infotainment sorts of things, right? Or uh, things that are going on to control the body, things like that. So so uh, they call those domain controllers, right? Or breaking things up yeah. into different domains. Uh, so that that's those sorts of architectural decisions are being made on the vehicle and that continues to evolve and, and, and get, you know, uh, better over time. Um, and then uh, having gateways through which the communication uh, connections and channels are established is also very important. So you don't have a free-for-all of multiple, multiple different things connecting in, but you have a, a way to be able to channel that, secure those connections, make sure you're authenticating the, uh, the different interactions, things like that. Uh, so, so a lot of, you know, the um, TLS type security, you know, with certificates, things like that, those, those are used today. Um, and there's also uh, things going on to investigate how even blockchain uh, technologies might help uh, with making sure that messages are trusted, right, and um, less breakable and hackable uh, than we've seen in the past. No, that's fair. And it brings an interesting point when you kind of blend all these things together. And then an uh, article came out last week, or was it the week before, regarding that stretch of I-94 is going to be the first smart highway that they're trying to develop in the, I think, in the world or in, at least in the U.S. Are you familiar with that? And I want to, I'm dying to know your thoughts on it. Yeah, so Detroit has been, um, um, you know, quite uh, quite involved in in discussions around what we call the smart city type, type, types of technologies, and this might be part of that. Um, 
uh, yeah, so so the whole connected space, right, of vehicles being able to talk to each other, so connecting between each other and being able to talk and message between each other, and then connecting also to infrastructure, um, you know, to signposts and, and traffic signals, things like that, that might not be on the freeway itself, right? But there might be certain sorts of things that are going on where the, where the car can be in communication uh, with things going on external to itself. Uh, to help mitigate and 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 hear about traffic concerns, uh, other sorts of things. So, I think that's really exciting that uh, you know to, to to hear these sorts of announcements and know that here, right in the D, uh, right where all these sorts of you know uh, motor city sorts of things should be happening, are really actually actively um, uh, in the works. So, so we're very so I always. About that. Uh... You know, I always, I, my brain thinks weird. So I always think about when, when I hear two things, when I hear ATIS, when I hear smart highways, I think of two things or are the EV vehicles as well? No gas tax, no revenue for the, for municipalities and no accidents. So almost you've got two industries is, is almost gone or revenue sources for, you know, the auto, the auto in, insurance industry and, and municipality, you know, revenue what's, you know, this is, I mean, granted, this is looking into a crystal ball in 15, 20 years, but if you look at it, if we're an accident free and we're not paying any gas tax anymore, what, you know, in terms of disruption, what is, what's that going to do to industry? Is it just find some, find another way to collect that money? Yeah. Things shift, right? So, um, you know, it's kind of like when, when uh, the automobile came about and you had all these liveries with, with horses and all the services went around caring for the horse, feeding them, getting all the supplies in for the hay and the fodder, all these sorts of things, right? Those, those businesses changed. Those, the people found other things to do, right? Uh, and, sure. and there were different things. So with, with these automations that are coming about and the disruption that's happening, we're seeing new business models even starting to emerge. So you, you, you talked about accidents and roadside assists and things like that, but even the dealership experience is going to change, right? And, uh, you know, all up and down the supply chain and the services chain, uh, there's great opportunity to, um, to pivot right now, anticipate where the puck is going to be Right as these new innovations uh, come about, and new safer ways of 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 of, of travel, right? Uh, you can start to shift. Uh, you'll always have a need for some of that assistance, of course, right? Because because things will happen. But the um, but the shift in business models uh, when uh, you know when when anticipated early on can offer all sorts of really creative new. Um, um, business models um, that can be disruptive in themselves and create all sorts of opportunity for people that are otherwise doing different things today. So, hmm. yeah, it's, it's, it's always just it, that stuff fascinates me. Just thinking about like, well, what happens when we don't? You know, again, there's no car insurance if we're not crashing cars. You know, are the rates going down? I doubt it. Um, so, one of the, so the, there, yeah, real quick, there are some things going on. You know, they. Uh, one thought is called um, utility-based insurance. So by having um, capturing the uh, driving behavior, right, of, of the drivers today, now as it becomes increasingly autonomous, right, uh, but, but certainly today while we have drivers, you can get the telematics or the data off the car to understand what the driving patterns and behaviors are of a particular driver in certain circumstances. Do they brake hard? Right, they slam it on the brakes. Do they accelerate hard? Um, how how do they corner? 
things like that, and how frequently, right? And 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 what's the average speeds and distances, things like that. You can then drive new models for for um, uh, coming up with your insurance policies that are a little bit more based on your usage patterns, and so that's called utility-based insurance. So there's uh, there's um, you know, new business models starting to be experimented with and will probably likely emerge around those sorts of ideas as well. So yes, insurance is still there, but it might look a little different. Sure, sure. And one of the things that you brought up earlier, this scares me more than anything. It's, uh, you know, the the new revenue model sources. Um, and we're looking at, you know, data monetization. And, you know, I'm very familiar with, you know, the data streams and, you know, data marketplaces now where you can pretty much get info on anything. I mean, are we going to see the point where, you know, I'm on the highway and it's going to flash Wendy's dollar off coupons on my infotainment system? Is that is that what we're getting at, or what's what what are we what are we talking about here? It it could it very well could you know we 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 talk about those sorts of shopper experiences even in malls today right as you're going through and and different things so that could certainly get in there uh, there as well. I think the successful uh, applications of this are going to be those that. Um, are more tuned in to the user experience, right? Not being annoying, but what's really helpful to to the uh, the passenger in the car, right? Um, and so there's there, there's all sorts of really interesting ideas going on even with this right now. So here's an example, like uh, you know you've you've heard of Alexa, right? And and sure. uh, you know various other sorts of things where you can um, or Siri, right? Where you can ask questions. Um, and typically, you'll ask a question and you'll get some list of results that you can pick from or something like that. There's um, there's a whole field of conversational voice AI that has made tremendous progress. Um, and, and we see a number of products emerging around that. So the idea here is rather than just being question and answer one at a time type conversation, what if you can maintain a context of the conversation? So you know wait, that so you're, wait, hold on. So you're telling me it's gonna butt into my con like if I'm talking with Randy about Pringles in the car and then Alexa's gonna <laughs> it's gonna talk to me like, oh by the way, Speedway has Pringles for a dollar fifty a can. Is that is this what you're alluding to? Well that, that that's awesome. Or you can ask more complex questions, is where I was going, right? So for example, I was just on my way back from uh Florida uh a, a couple months ago bringing some things back up for my mom, right? So she, she's, she's relocated up here now and I had to bring some of her things up. And um, uh, I drove back, uh, so it was 24 hours of driving to get to, to get up here. And so I split it into two 12-hour drives. But I didn't know where I was gonna be, right, uh, by the end of the first day. I just thought I would wing it. So here I am, I'm driving up, you know, um, you know, um, I-95 to, you know, across the 10 to the 75. And I made it as far as just north of Atlanta by about 1130. But as I was approaching, I was talking to my wife, who was actually setting up a hotel reservation for me, right? Because she, she said, well, give me an idea where you're going to be. And then I'll make sure that I can find you something that's close to the close to the freeway and so on, right? So she's doing all that work for me. And I thought, man, what if I could just talk to my car? And the car knows where I am. I could tell it where I, you know, um, uh, what time I wanted to stop for the day. It could calculate what my ETA to the closest, you know, um, hotel in my favorite chain is, all that, or whatever, closest to the freeway, so I can get on easily the next morning. What if it could make that re that reservation for me? But see, that's that's bringing a lot of contextual awareness, right? 
So it's saying, well, uh, where do I like to stay? What's close to the uh, freeway? It's a function of where I am on the road and a time that I want to stop. And you can do that planning. Why build this into the car instead of linking with your smartphone that already has all of this capability and information about you? You, you, you could. Because you have to text while you drive, Randy. That's why. <laughs> so it'd be nice if I could just say something and, and give it a general instruction, which brings in a number of parameters, right, uh, that sets a context. And then maybe I would have a few choices I could make, but it really narrows down that search space. So instead of my wife spending half an hour, maybe it would only have taken, you know, a minute or two. Right to uh, to construct that uh, contextual query, which is again a function of telematics that are coming off the car as well, right? Not just GPS and things like that, but an idea of speed, uh, where I'm going, where I am on the map, what my ultimate destination is, have an idea where I would want to get back on the next morning, right? Those sorts of things would be really cool if you could start to get some of that into the car. And so um, so it's more than natural language processing. It's got knowledge graphs in there. It's got semantics in there. And these technologies are coming together now in real ways within the AI space in products that we can start to integrate into, into the car or certainly into the user experience, right? However it's delivered, but certainly um, become part of that passenger experience. I think all of us fear the, the scene in Minority Report when you brought up the mall earlier, but I fear it in the car as well. Like, you know, good morning, Mr. Wallenspiel. You know, you haven't purchased Jägermeister in three weeks. Would you like to, you know, go to the nearest liquor store? You know what I mean? That's all I think about. Like, it's, it's, it scares me almost as much as the Boston Scientific robots, the dogs. Um, it, 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 it's everything you're saying just seems like we're going, we're going to hit that road. We're, we're, it's inevitable. Am, am I wrong? I, I think, again, you want the user driving that, right? Or it needs to be um, an experience that's happening sort of ephemerally, right, in the background that doesn't make the user nervous about being monitored and things like that. It, well, I, that's how Facebook started, though. Do you remember, like, back right. in 08, 09, you didn't mind liking brands that you liked because if I was going to get a push ad from brands I like, what's the big sure. deal? Oh, it evolved and changed to a completely different model. And now they, they basically know when I, you know, when I sneeze, when I, you know, what I'm eating today, that the complete analytics, they know how I'm going to vote. Like, you know what I mean? Even just yeah. by basic. So that, that, that's the thing where I'm just looking at, okay, now that you have the data, now that you see where I'm, you know, what are you going to do with it? Yeah. And, and I think that's the big question. And, you know, Google said they weren't evil in the beginning and they, then they silently erase that from their, uh, from their uh, uh, masthead, but you know, so I mean, time will tell. It's, it, I think it's an it, it's going to be inevitable, I, and I think after we're going to get a couple of Netflix documentaries, probably in the year twenty thirty, they said, "Do you realize what they did with your car data?" You know, yeah. um, kind of like what they did with Facebook, but kind of shifting so, so, real quick. Oh, go, well, ahead, go just, ahead, just real quick before you shift, I, I, I was just going to throw out th- that is a problem space uh, here at DMI. We've actually been looking into, um, and, and this is the sort of the distribution channels, right, for data that's coming off the vehicle, off the user experience, things like that. And one of the things that we recognize is really critical is um, customer consent, right? Because the, the um, you can call it the user, the driver, the passenger, whatever, right, owns the data. Mm-hmm. And it's their data, it's their information, and they should be providing consent, right, around the usage of it. 
So we actually have some accelerator platforms that we've been um, developing, and one of them actually provides for that, that allows this data monetization model to work, right? Um, the OEMs or whoever could use that are pulling this data, but then you can also um, uh, work with subscribers of different uh, filtered views of the data. It could be anonymized, right? Various sorts of things. But again, it, it, it at the core of it is still grounded on some consent that's provided for given use cases, right? So sure. it isn't just, I give it up for anything, but for use in these particular ways and areas. And yeah, if, if, if a person's incentivized somehow, like you were saying, uh, to say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll share that with you. It's still their choice. That's the idea. Yeah. None of us minded to opt in. I think, I think everything social media completely evolved where it's, right. it's everything, but, um, you know, and we, you know, I always say, if you're not paying for the service, you are the service, uh, for someone else, <laughs> you know, and I think this is going to bode true too. Um, I wanted to shift real quick uh, on the talent gap and, Automotive wasn't sexy six, seven years ago, you know, to be in tech now, high tech. Now, I beg to differ that I think it's extremely sexy to be in this sector. Um, the problem also is you're competing against, you know, pretty much everybody now because you're using standard code, coding languages, and you're using standard cloud methodologies and, you know, security. It's all, it's all blended now. There's no, nothing unique. Um, so one, you know, how do you attract that talent that might be swayed to go to either consultancy or, you know, uh, a service provider or a vendor, um, or, you know, versus, you know, working for, for an auto, um, you know, and in, in the, as the talent, you know, a, how do you, I guess, how do you attract and how do you grow? Yeah. Oh, that's great. You know, we had, we had Jake on the call here too. So I, I, I want to make sure we pull him in because he's. Uh, he's actually some some of the younger talent that we've just recently brought in, and he's just rocking over here. So we thought it might be kind of fun for Jake you to you to talk about you know what sorts of things were you looking for as well. But real quick, right? Uh, just to frame it up, and then maybe Jake, if you want to add some things too. But um, um, so to your point, right? Uh, in this uh, world where um, all industries are trying to make better use of the data that they have, right? So sometimes we call that the digital transformation, right? So it's really um, um, making use of these digital assets of, of data to be able to make better informed decisions more quickly, right? And to get insights into things. This is happening all across the world, right? Of, of all the different industries. And when you look at the core skills and talents that are, that are required for that kind of work, you see it's pretty pervasive. And now the auto industry is really uh, looking for the same sorts of talents as well, maybe more in the automotive domain of application. But we're looking for the, you know, data scientists, for the uh, machine learning, um, you know, people, people that know how to build algorithms, um, people that know how to write software and expose application programming interfaces in front of them, right? So they're programmable. All these sorts of skills become really important. At the same time, given the disruption within the automotive industry uh, that we we're just talking about, including the shift toward a software-first approach and software-defined platforms, all the OEMs are struggling to lay some of the foundational pieces together, too. And it's just such a big problem. Uh, people recognize um, pretty red readily that we have to collaborate in order to do that. Not everybody's going to be right to leverage all that same talent just for their own specific concerns. You can't find enough of it. So how do we collaborate? 
uh, more effectively to do that. So there are a number of industry consortia uh, that have that, that have been uh, you know opening up uh, and, and starting over the uh, you know last few years. Uh, there are collaborations happening even at the National Sciences Foundation um, supports, and that is getting universities to collaborate with industry as well, so industry can um, um, harness and leverage. Um, innovations coming out of academic research more quickly as well. And through the collaboration, the research centers have an opportunity to bounce their ideas off of industry to make sure that they're working on relevant product problems and so on. So Oakland University, right, right in our backyard here, uh, recently uh, had a whole uh, workshop uh, around pervasive personalized intelligence uh, planning sorts of sessions where um, um, you know, they combined with Colorado University out of Boulder, uh, Colorado and Oregon State University kind of came together and brought in representat representatives from um, all, you know, various OEMs. So Ford was there, General Motors, we were there, right? A, a number of different, Microsoft was there, Intel was there, right? So a number of people from industry to collaborate around the AI research that's going on in these universities and look at the projects and see how we can help shape them and direct them to make sure that they're relevant to the types of problems that we're solving. So this is also happening, right, more broadly than just in our backyard, but things that are happening. Again, it's to get talent to work together uh, on sort of the non-differentiating you know, enablers, right, the pre-competitive mm -hmm. sorts of things. And then we have open source communities doing the same thing, right? So the Eclipse Foundation, um, has uh, just spun up uh, the Software Defined Vehicle Working Group. So there's a whole new working group, and the OEMs are all coming on board that, right, as well as various software um, you know, providers and vendors uh, are, are all coming in to help lay the foundational pieces that are going to be required to get um, you know, data interoperability working uh, alongside with the you know, system-level stuff, things like that, all the platform-related things, so that we don't have to reinvent it over and over and over again and people can start to innovate again above those common components that we work together to achieve, right? So that's one way to do it. Um, one of the things that we're doing at DMI is we're, uh, we, we've started up this, this thing that we call the Auto Academy. <laughs> so, so this is where we take our experienced uh, engineers and architects and consultants, and um, we, we, we uh, partner them up with uh, new people that are coming into the company so they could be university graduates, uh, they could be other people coming in with other experiences and so on. We try to make sure that they're equipped with a complement of skills and capabilities and experiences as they uh, in, you know, prepare for and get involved in some of their first work assignments. So if we've got some somebody that has some specific uh, experience in some particular thing that's going to be necessary, we don't just hire somebody and put them on it, right? We might partner them up and have some mentorships, things like that. And this gives a nice way to cross-pollinate uh, with, with the different skills that we have, right? Share them, bring them together, and build teams that are stronger together than we would be with just a bunch of individual people with different skills. So we've got mm -hmm. some programs that are going on with that. Uh, that ties in, again, with relationships with our local universities and other ones as well, right, to, uh, to try and get some partnerships going. Um, and, and then we also participate in some of these other things as well, like, um, you know, Mobi, which is all around blockchain and, uh, you know, automotive sorts of applications of that, uh, as, as well as the universities and stuff. Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's a little long-winded there. Jake, you want to add anything to that? Right, right. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. So essentially, you you brought up Bob. Uh, why, like, why, why would we be at, at DMI, and why wouldn't we choose other things? And so for me, DMI being a a, uh, a consultancy was super helpful to me because it, it allowed me to think about okay. I can work on cutting edge stuff very, 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 very frequently. And I I can constantly be, be switching to a different thing every so often. And so within the, the automotive uh, uh, industry here, what's, what's super nice is we, with that, with that switch so, so frequently in that all the companies that hire us are, uh, they're they're always doing some some di- some dis disruption, and so we're always the ones doing that. So that was something that was really attractive to me was that instead of doing some some boring corporate job, I know I'm going to be working on something really cool, something something cutting edge, and I'm going to be the one making changes in the in the entire industry rather than watching someone else do it from a different a different point of view. Now, just curious, Jake, did you get a four-year degree in IT or did you go, did you cert up or what was your process? Because only reason I bring it up, my daughter just graduated high school and I'm following all the kids that are, uh, it's all senior week and then we're seeing all the, the notices and I always, I'm, I don't even read the bios, but I go right down to majoring and where they're going to school. I'm just curious, just for, you know, curiosity. Mm-hmm. I think out of the whole school, one person's, two people are going into IT and one of them's gaming design. Like no one's, you know, and I talked to all my cousins and everybody that's, you know, their, their kids and everybody that's coming up. And I said, get into data science, get into cybersecurity. And they all roll their eyes and like, yeah, whatever. So I, what was your process? Mm-hmm. So I've actually, I do have a four-year degree in, in, in computer science. I, um, I actually started programming freshman year of a, of a high school and I pretty much wanted to do it ever since I was about in like fifth, sixth grade. And so it was always just something that was always really, really attractive to me. Um, and honestly, like I just, I picked that as my, uh, my, uh, uh major never looked back, had a, all my friends did it, did it too, because they, we were all kind of had the, like the like same itch. We, we just love, love creating. And that's, that, that's really essentially what it, what it all, all comes down to. We are, we are creators and that's, what's super fun about it. And it always, it's always fresh. No, I'm glad that school has changed because when I came up, the, the IT classes bored me because I was so far past it. So I just went and got a, you know, general business degree. And then I look back and I go, Oh my God, I probably should have taught those classes. You know what I mean? Cause I'm like, I don't I take a class and it would literally just bore, you know, couldn't have been worse. But at this point, you know, when you get 25 years of ex- industry experience, it's a little, you know, it's as much as, you know, any university. So I was just curious as to your path. Um, so how do you get involved in the, in that auto Academy, Steve? Is that, is, is that something that you guys are doing for internal? Is that something that you're bringing on internships? What, it, what, it, what does that look like? Yeah, it, it's, it, it's a bit of uh, both of those. Certainly, um, you know, there's the internship play. Uh, for students that are, you know, be, between semesters uh, during the summers or even during during school times, if they have the time for it. Um, but but uh, very much it's an internal program that we're starting up. Um, and uh, we don't have all the details yet in terms of how we can how we'll plan to reach the students even while they're in 
in college, like before they have their degrees, for example. But Mm. if we can provide meaningful opportunities, right, for people to get in and uh, it's just win, win, win all the way around. Actually, how many wins would it be? The customer wins, right? We win. The student wins. It's 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 just fantastic. And then uh, the program wins as well because we um, um, we're all about um, you know building up the next generation, really, right? So people pass. It's a journey, right? So so we're, we're we're all moving through time and space, and and how do we do that collectively in a way where um, we're benefiting? Um, individually, but also collectively as we do it and building the right relationships as we go. So so the internship is very much an outward focus type of a thing of how do we give back as much as it is? How do we just, you know, take and what's in it for me type thing? So um, so so we're a bit motivated, um, um, you know, through that as well. And it, it also makes the environment so much more fun to work in. Right. When it's when the culture is that way, it's it's a learning environment. Uh, we all learn from each other. We have fun while we're doing it. And I, and I was talking about partnerships, right? There's also partnerships with the big IT companies as well and other software vendors. So we have, as part of this as well, we have an innovation lab uh, the, 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 that we've stood up. And we've got these labs in each of our big cloud environments, right, for Google and Azure and AWS and so on, because there are different technologies you can try out, right, in, in those different ones. And they all play a, an important part. In, within the overall ecosystem as well. So, so we bring in um, and we partner with various vendors to try out some advanced technologies. And those are, those are places also where, you know, students can help out, right? And um, uh, because they're, they're, they, they tend to be proofs of concepts, they're experiments, right, that we can take. Uh, so we're all learning. But then out of those, they're usually grounded on some business use case as well that we're trying to, you know, uh, solve for uh, that has a customer context as well. Right. So it's just it's just fantastic how this all kind of works. No, it's great. It's all, all this stuff we're talking about is fascinating. We could deep dive for an hour, but we got to cut you guys short. Uh, Steve, Jake, DMI, sincerely can't can't thank you enough for your for your time and your insight into the kind of an update into the automotive industry and look forward to uh, what's next. Um, but no, I appreciate it. We'll put all your contact info and all the details for your company on the uh, in the show notes. So appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you so much. It's been fun. Great meeting you. Yeah, likewise. So, hey, we're going to end things for episode 437. On behalf of Bob and Randy, I want to do us all a favor. Drink up your drinks. Get your phone numbers. You don't got to go home. You just got to get the hell out of here. See you next week. Drive careful. Beat it.